Hey everyone, you're listening to the Embrace the Messy podcast with Shannon Schinkel. I'm a high school educator, challenge seeker, lifelong learner, and embracer of all things messy. I find inspiration from individuals who are passionate about learning and embracing change. Join me as I share my experiences and interview people who will inspire you to embrace the messy too. Let's go. Movies are magical. I love everything about them. I love the set design, the cinematography, the directing, the writing, and of course the acting. I love how even a badly acted movie can be written well and how a well-acted film can be written badly. I love to hear about the behind-the-scenes stories Uh, Things like how directors spent years finding the perfect adaptation for a book and how or how an independent filmmaker had to crowdsource funds to get their passion project off the ground. I love to learn about the actor's process, you know, how they train for a part, maybe like learning a language um, and how they invest their mind, body and spirit in order to attain perfect proportions of humanity and fiction. I love how, as an English teacher, movies are texts, stories with messages. I can't watch a film without digging deep into every aspect of it. I love an entertaining film, but I love appreciating film and their separate components even more. It should come as no surprise that this is my favorite time of year. The time of year when films are honored by various organizations for their vision and achievement. I am wholeheartedly with Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek when she's asked, what's your favorite season? And she responds, awards. The Screen Actors Guild Awards, the Golden Globes, and of course the creme de la creme of all film awards, the Oscars. I don't think I've ever missed an Oscar ceremony. For as long as I can remember, I've made my Oscar predictions and watched each envelope being opened, me waiting on bated breath, either make my animals jump with a big woohoo, yes, or you hear me, you know, swear and yell no if I'm wrong. I like being right. And sometimes I don't even mind being wrong, especially when the race is maybe too close to call. I love a good underdog story. And I equally enjoy when multiple nominated nominee finally receives their well-earned accolade. When it comes to the speeches winners give, sometimes I fast forward through them, just like other people do. And other times I hang on every word and Sometimes what they have to say makes me even wipe a tear. I know that sounds sentimental. And look, I know there are naysayers out there rolling their eyes about how much money superstars make and how, you know, the budget for a film could feed a small country. And I'm just a sucker for how dramas and comedies and romances and action adventures and foreign films and documentaries can just sweep me away. I believe in people and their dreams. I believe in the journey each person made to get where they are now. Big name Hollywood superstars like Leonardo DiCaprio and Julia Roberts weren't always earning millions of bucks per film. Check out their stories. And films are not just about the A-list actors. There are the professionals behind the scenes whose skills are meaningful but are living paycheck to paycheck, film to film, sometimes going weeks or months between gigs. Filmmaking is multi-layered. There are so many moving parts. It's this intricacy that's so intriguing to me. It's also why I'm a voracious opponent of illegal downloading of films. You don't want to go to the theater? Fine. But wait until you can properly rent the movie and pay the fees. Every time a film is pirated, the price to make a film rises, affecting the bottom line. If there are budget cuts, people lose jobs. It's a fact. 
Don't look at how much you pay for a ticket only in terms of the A-list stars or directors and producers. Think about how it's someone's income. I love movies so much and I appreciate all the ins and outs of the business. I also have a personal connection in that one of my former theater students, Chris Carson, is an actor in Vancouver and I got to have a beautiful conversation with him recently. We talk about how he got bit by the acting bug, as well as his acting journey over the past 12 years or so since he graduated from high school. We talk about passion and growth, the highs and lows of being in this business and how important people and time are. This conversation will inspire all my listeners, those in education, as well as anyone looking for a story about resilience. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris Carson. Welcome, Chris Carson, to the Embrace the Messy podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. I am so excited to have you on this podcast. I've been waiting all week for this interview. (laughs) So now before we dig in, I'm going to share a little story with my listeners. I'm going to take you back to, I think it was, you have to go circa 2009. So I'm telling this story because I want listeners to understand about the kind of young man you were when I taught you. And this was actually after I taught you. Okay, so this guy is in grade 11 and he's going to the high school. So at the time I was teaching in a junior high, so eight, nine, and 10. And that's where I met Chris. Uh, He had already gone off to be in grade 11 at the high school and I was teaching his sister. And I was asked by... Uh, regional district here in town to see if I had some actors who would be willing to be part of an airport crash scenario. <laughs> I, can tell, I know Justin can see he's telling he knows he knows the story. He knows the story. So here's how devoted this kid is. So he's not even he's no longer at my school. And I had told any of my students who wanted to be part of this crash scenario to be an actor in the crash scenario that they had to be in my drama room by a certain time. And Chris asked, because I was teaching his sister Mindy at the time, Chris asked, you know, can I be a part of it? And I said, well, dude, if you want to be a part of it, I said, you got to be here just like everybody else. You got to be here right after three o'clock. This kid goes, you know, and talks to the principal. He gets out of his class and he runs from the high school to the junior high. And runs in and he's like out of breath. He runs into my room and there he is, like right there at the literally at the second I'm about ready to start because he was super devoted. And then you, like we did this airport, this crash scenario. We had to be like an injured patient and you get your mug on the, you know, the front page of the newspaper as a result. Yes. Yeah. Look at that. Wow. (laughs) There. That's a big flashback, hey? I yeah I remember the I remember the newspaper article I don't remember the story as well as you did but that's that's amazing <laughs> no I'll I'll never I'll never forget it and and you know actually when I think about some of my favorite memories as a drama teacher it was that that crash scenario like I just I loved everything that all of you kids did because you're you're young people and you guys just blew all the first responders away with all of your acting ability. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I had to share, I had to share, I had to share. That's so, amazing. so before we dig in, Chris, I'm, I'm really fascinated by origin stories. Now I know that you were bit by the acting bug in junior high when I was your one, when I was one of your teachers, mm-hmm. you were heavily involved in dance. Mm-hmm. When did that morph into something that you wanted to do professionally and decide to go into acting school? Um, well, yeah, I, you, I was definitely bit by the bug when I joined your grade eight school class because Woodshop was full. And then they I, said, you can take, rem- you can take drama. I remember drama. the story. I remember. <laughs> and I was like, what, what is that? And they're like, it's another elective where you get to, you get to act, you know, you do like the movie stuff and plays. And I went, I don't know. Like my dad kind of taught me all these trade stuff. I don't know. <laughs> And then I took it and I fell in love and 
you cast me as Jack and Jack and the Beanstalk and that what was that golden judge judge uh oh it's like a, a judge, judge Judy? julie judge julie i think it was julie? right yeah yeah, yeah 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 and it was like the golden egg and i played jack and from there it was i was i just wanted to be the lead of everything i wanted to be for on stage performing mm-hmm. um and then throughout high school being in the dance community and doing the musicals at excalibur you you, you sort of get pressured not pressured but guided as as children in high school to be like what do you want to do with the rest of your life and I couldn't imagine a life where I wasn't acting Mm -hmm. it it felt like a part of me had been opened up that I was now fully myself and I was not only excited to just do it every day uh, I knew that there was more talent inside of me on this craft that I had to explore Mm -hmm. and I had such a big imagination I still do and to be Mm -hmm. able to play with that on a daily is that's that's what brings me joy in life so I couldn't imagine another career was did your experience any pushback like was there like you had the support of dance community like yeah because here's the thing going into something as not as set in terms of going into as for a job uh-huh. right it's a little bit it's it's difficult, right? It's messy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are, you know, adults especially, they're looking out for young people and saying, you know, they might say, you know, is this the kind of job that maybe you want to go into? You know, it's so hard to be, you know, to make it big in the acting world. So I guess what I mean by pushback is not necessarily people telling you no, but people looking out for you to and saying, are you sure, Chris? It's acting. Yeah. I mean, I always had the question of, is there, is there like a side job? But my dad throughout my life has always sort of let me do what I want to do. And he's, he's sort of stood back and and guided and stepped in when he's needed to, but he was never overbearing or ever like felt the need to um, push me on a certain path. And my mom, likewise, my mom's a different story because she's obsessed with the idea of fame. So she wanted it more than I did. <laughs> she's like, oh, my son's going to be famous. I can't wait to tell my friends. And she's like, oh, look at movie star. And I'm like, mom, let's just take it one step at a time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm so glad to hear that. Like, because I know as a teacher, like it's, it is really hard to, you, you, like, you really want to yoke the strengths of what the kids want to do. You want to want them to follow their passions at the same time. You know, you're thinking about what, what what the future might hold and yeah. i think you know i think kids need to be able to to follow their dreams would you would agree with that uh, yeah i would say up until you know if you start to get like in your early 20s and you feel like you have to be smart enough to acknowledge that what you have inside of you is going to be worthwhile of making a career of mm-hmm. and i felt that going forward and the drive to do it because when I reflect back on my journey to get to where I am now, I really wouldn't wish that upon any young person. It's a it's a giant mental battle that you're not you don't there's no answers for. I can't give you a guideline because every journey is different. You could be an overnight success, but then I've seen overnight successes die out early. So there's mm-hmm. there's challenges throughout the whole thing, and I it's not as secure, and there's going to be a lot of whys and what ifs and just unanswered questions that you can't ever explain to some young person Mm -hmm. they just have to experience it and you can warn them and that's why you hear the age-old guideline of we have to really love it and because every other person's journey up to that point was equally as challenging in their own ways and we had to have really loved it to have gone through all of the messy stuff that we did because there's a lot of it I I really appreciate you saying that. And I think the love, when you do love something so much, you are willing to to embrace the messy, right? You are yeah. willing to roll with the punches. So it goes deeper. What I'm hearing you say is it goes deeper than just having a passion or having a flair, right? When I think back to, I think you're a year into acting school and you actually came into my drama class. Mm-hmm. Remember you came and gave them a talk. 
And yeah. one of the most <laughs> memorable comments you made was, and I, okay, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you said something to the extent to these kids that, uh, look, I, I actually felt a little cocky, you know, I, here I was, you know, cast in Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I thought I was the cat's meow. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm gonna make it. And that's gonna be awesome. I'm going to acting school. And you, you quickly realized, holy crap, like this is, I'm, I'm really not that great. I, I have work to do. Right. Yeah. And I appreciated that honesty so much with the kids. It, it, it is true because you come out of a small town where you, let's say you're the best person in your small town. That's just, just an example. Yeah. As soon as you go to the big city, let's say, uh, you know, Hollywood, L.A. or Vancouver, the Hollywood of the North or Toronto, even you are now up against every single best kid in their small town. Mm -hmm. And then the handful of best kids of that big city that have grown up been child actors their whole lives you know friends of mine that i know have been auditioning since they were five and unfortunately uh, as in from prince george we didn't have the luxury of being able to audition and practice that skill set before i graduated high school mm -hmm. um yeah so it's <laughs> you have to you have to find the balance between um ego and confidence and and awareness of your talent and then being able to sort of manufacture that into a career and build relationships and network, um, which is not my favorite thing to do, but it is, is it, it's a part of the, the job as well. Mm -hmm. um, oh. But yeah, the, like the, those are all, those are hard to teach things because each person is going to be different mm -hmm. and you just have to find that within yourself and then take whatever advice you can get from people around you. Oh, I think that's, that's such an important point. Like you, you really do have to listen. Like when you, when you started on this journey, so you're in school, where did you go to school? What was, was the name of the school? I was, I literally Googled Vancouver acting schools because yeah. I, I had no connection to anything. Yeah. And it was like Vancouver film school came up, but it was $25,000 for a year. It was outside of our budget. And then another small thing came up, which was, it was their third program of doing it called Vancouver Acting School, now called School Creative. Right. Okay. It was a six month program for $10,000. And we went, this is, we can afford this. My grandma had saved up some college funds for all the grandkids. And oh, I wow. put all of that into that. And um, it was like, this is what I'm going to college for. This is, I've, I've, I, after this, I have no, nobody has money for for me to do anything else and I have to make the decision that like this is what I'm going to do mm -hmm. and so I did that six-month program and I have I have friends and connections from that program that I still talk to today one of them just produced my short film that I just finished and we've been friends ever since that exact program um, oh. and I think it was a lot more special back then um, just based on like who was around, although I, I don't, I'm not taking the class now. I don't know if it's still the same structure. Right. But when you talk about the universe interjecting certain pathways of people, mm -hmm. it, it felt like there was a, a real big meetup of, of individuals in that, in that section of time where I felt like we all grew together from there. Mm -hmm. And it was just the same time and place that the universe put us in that class. So Wait, I was so yeah. So you you buy into that sentiment that like everything happens for a reason. To a degree, I think there's yeah choices that you make, but I do believe that like even the hard things in life, there's always a silver lining of like this was really terrible that this happened to me, but what have I become because of it? Mm -hmm. What are certain things that it taught me, and what is what is it preparing me for in the future? Where did that positive attitude come from? My positivity came from all of the trials and tribulations and heartache and depression and mental health issues that I had growing into my 20s mm. in a career that is unforgiving. Um, you never know why you got the job. You never know why you didn't get the job. So you're constantly stuck in these in these loops of just putting your best work out there, putting your best self out there. And nobody will tell you a thing. They don't validate you. None of that. It just, if you get the job, you've done a good job. 
and that's and the that's, only and thing that's that it. happens. And that's it. The There's mental no, game. No, no gold star, hey? No. And that's where I think mm. the most important part of acting is, is the class, going to acting class, because there you have the ability to structure and actually train your work to say somebody been like, that was great. What you did there is worthy of, of this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And then you have an idea of your acting versus just sending stuff out into the void and nobody sort of giving you any feedback. How are you supposed to learn? Mm-hmm. So is that is that the message then for young people going into acting that you're not going, it's not about the accolades. It's not about the gold stars. It's It's got to be about the taking work. the feedback and running with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I always say, and I've, I've posted about this one time is that just because you book a job doesn't make you a good actor. And it's the actors that continue to train and get better that will have longevity in their career when it does happen versus those overnight successes that, that feel like, Oh, this is what it means to work hard. And they have no idea the journey that's ahead of them. If they continue to only do the surface level that booked them that job. Mm. And that's, I mean, that, that again is, is trials and tribulations of, of, of being in it and experiencing it and, and just practicing. I think that's, it's so important because it's, it's, it's at a deeper level where you're learning these life skills. Yeah. Right. Like it's these life skills. Wow. Okay. That to me, that that's like almost like a mic drop kind of quote you just gave me <laughs> there, Chris. So now speaking of of booking gigs, yeah, I remember getting a message from you saying that you're going to be on Riverdale. Yeah. <laughs> and that so was... there, there's the infamous part. So Chris is cast as Jogger, Jogger, and Jogger in Riverdale season two. And for those folks who are Riverdale fans, you'll know the scene very well. Uh, Kevin, who is uh, the gay character, yeah. uh, I love him to pieces. And he's jogging through the woods and he meets up with a handsome young man played by you. And handsome devil, a, as handsome de- would say. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, handsome, <laughs> the handsome devil, right? God. And you just have this big makeout scene. And then, and then that's it. So it's like, like not even a word is spoken, right? Yeah, right. And and I remember naturally. I so, I when you so pass somebody excited. in the woods, that's what happens. You don't say a word. You make out against that tree. <laughs> I remember talking with you. I'm like, Chris, what was that like? Like, I mean, oh I mean, I mean, I know what it was like, but what was that like? And I remember you saying to me. I said, what was that like to just kind of give in and be able to do that? Like, I, I don't think I could do something like that. Like, I remember even trying to coach kids just to have an onstage kiss, yeah. right? And doing something. And you just said, you have to give in to it. And it take after take after take, right? I remember wow. one take. Um, I accidentally pushed uh, Casey, who, who plays Kevin, into the tree a little too hard. And I went, oh, my God, I've just pushed one of the leads of Riverdale into a tree physically. <laughs> And while we were making out, we were getting into it. And I, when they yelled cut, I said, Casey, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to push that hard. He goes, no, 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 no. The fans are going to love that. <laughs> I said, okay, man. Let's just keep doing it then. <laughs> I, I, I was so excited about the scene because I just thought it was also it was such a brave scene to do, right? And I think just because you were just so vulnerable and open. And I remember going up to, you know, your, your, um, old high school principal, right? And we're sitting on the bench. I'm like, I have got to show you what Chris Carson is doing now. And the look on her face, like, it's just, just so impressed, right? Did you feel like after doing that scene in Riverdale that you had a little bit of a, a liftoff, like in terms of your career? You know, the, the, when we're talking about silver linings this was one of those moments where i i i mean given this was after four years of auditioning i was given my first role and it was non-speaking yeah. so i was already like in that mental game and and second guessing and then finally it came and i i i remember getting a touch of this again ego mm. and this taste of fame and everybody wanted to talk to me everybody wanted to message me 
I had people setting me up on this, that, and that. Um, and I would walk around and I remember getting drunk and I would go out to places and be like, oh, I'm on Riverdale just to have that, that fame and, and accolades yeah. come at me immediately. And you, you become addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And then that dies down and you plummet. And I remember a, you know, a little bit after a year after that, I started to really sink into meditation and mindfulness and an understanding of of just the human emotion and and the range of which we can live at and um what i appreciated about that is that i i was able to learn from that touch of fame what i didn't want to be again Mm -hmm. if it ever happened to me again i would go into it with a different mindset of understanding that your your fame is going to come and go it's it's really what you choose to do in that time mm-hmm. that will show who you are as a person and you can't let accolades and fame affect you and change who you are oh so it, now i it, always it, try to go into it 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 reminds me of i was watching a clip it's it's a it's a pretty it's a viral clip it's tom hanks is in this round table and he's mm-hmm. talking about one of the most important things that he learned as an actor are the words this too shall pass yeah. he says you know You've got something bad happens. You don't have a lot of success. Okay. This too shall pass. Mm-hmm. You have success. You have glory. You feel all that energy, right? You feel the gold stars. <laughs> this yeah. too shall pass, right? Yeah. You can't. I think, like I said, I think that's so impressive that you learned that so quickly. Chris, there are folks you know, my age and older who are just picking up on that. They're just actually realizing that they have to sometimes kind of check their ego at the door, that they have to realize that, you know, you can't just ride on the ways of anticipation and and rewards and glory. You just, you do it for the love of it Mm -hmm. and you do it for the good, the bad and the ugly. I mean, I, I mean, as a teacher, I experience that every day. Right. And there are days like even today, after a day of teaching, I'm like, I feel like a crappy teacher today and mm-hmm. I have to, and, and I have to just be like, well, this, this too shall pass this will, you know, uh, I'll get over it. And, and you were going to have days like that. Right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this, the mindfulness and the mental health journey, if you can, if you're, if you, if you're up to it and how that, how did you, how did you find your way to that? Well, I'm I'm still finding uh, my way through it, mm-hmm. uh, but I I think I've I've just turned thirty years old. Uh, we I think there's a certain point in your later twenties where you realize that at the end of the day you have to be comfortable sitting by yourself, and you can't be used to having a school to go to with friends all around you and all this jazz especially as in the acting community you are alone a lot of the time Mm -hmm. until you are on a set or you're doing this and then you're surrounded by friends and family and and people all the time Mm -hmm. um so i there's two parts of my life i won't go into too much detail of one of them but two parts of my life acting being something that is uh very few and far between for the rewards you work hard and there's very little reward along the way until until there is, but you're never going to know why. And then love has also been a very tough aspect in my life. And so there's times where I've had certain mental breakdowns and I've had to really connect with individuals to set myself and check myself in because it felt like both avenues of my life were were never giving me answers. And I was stuck in this void of like, I don't know what to do. And um, it was around 25 to 26 where I started to sit down and go, these things are going to keep happening. How do I manage them moving forward? Because I can't just ignore them and I can't um, keep succumbing to the pain every time it comes around. And so I started to look at my life on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis and going, what are the steps that I can take? and things that I have control over to focus on. 
and then everything else will fall into place. So I knew I could go to an acting class. I had a character that was mine. I wasn't competing for this character. I was able to just play and have fun in my imagination. I knew that fitness was a very big, important factor of my lifestyle that I had control over as well. Diet, close relationships around me, and um, and just time well spent. And these were things and aspects that I chose to look into. And I use meditation now and, and mindfulness as, as a way to reset when things are sort of becoming overbearing. And they still do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with the fame of, of GD, that's one avenue that's maybe slightly working out right now. But I have to understand that this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And I have to know what is the next thing that I want to do? I can't just mm-hmm. ride this and then be stuck on a beach or in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. So you just, you, I, it, it is so important. Um, I know that's, again, you're taking such important steps for your mental health now. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of people, like I said, even at my age, they still don't have a grasp on it. So I'm so proud of you for for taking those steps and for wrestling with that. I think there's some huge life lessons. I know you hear a lot of this through like the social media and through the through the news about, you know, yeah. actors, they'll embrace certain parts and it'll it'll consume them. Yeah. Right. And it'll it'll affect them. How do you besides that? like you do the mindfulness and meditation, how do you separate yourself from your characters? So they don't, doesn't, it doesn't overtake you. Like, have you, or maybe have you actually been in that kind of situation or do you know how you would, you would manage that in a situation like that? My, my care, disconnect from my characters or disconnect from the fame of, of my shows. Sure. Both. Uh, I, the, how I disconnect from the fame of my, let's say like all these screenings that we've been to for golden delicious or Riverdale at the time. Um, I understand the feeling of like what's going to come of that, of that moment, but knowing that just because this happened, it doesn't going to, it's not going to change my journey tomorrow or the next day, the next day that I have to still have things that are um, tangible to, to look forward to little goals to look forward to because Although this could shift everything, I can't be focused on the possibility of some sort of outside help um, guiding my future just because of a little fame here and there. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, moving, I knew I had my short film I still had to work on. I knew there were certain parts of my of myself that I needed to focus on. And so I do these things. I go to the Q&As. I have these screenings. But when I come back, it's like, okay, let's let's get to the work. Because that's that love of acting and wanting to create stuff will take me further than the attachment to awards and accolades. Yeah, I think I think that's that's so important that it's about the next goal, right? Okay, I've got this now, but you're always kind of thinking further ahead, right? You're looking further ahead to see what are what are you going to do next? What's what's the next goal? I, I want to you've you've dropped a little bit about Golden Delicious. Yeah. I. I'm so thrilled that I got to see this film. Um, <laughs> like this was a beautiful film. It's a it's a coming of age film. It's an independent film. It's Canadian film. Yep. Asian it, Canadian leads. A, that's right. Asian Canadian leads. Um, LGBTQ content. Positivity. Right. Yeah. Um, tell me what that was like. How did that happen? the funniest part and i've talked to my other actor friends who have uh uh, been in big shows is that it was just another email and you think it's like this this giant thing that came to you and and for us it's it's literally just another email from your agent being like audition and that's what it was um golden delicious of course came eight years into my process and I'm glad that it came when it did because I don't know if I could have done the work I did four years ago mm-hmm. it was it was again one of those universal things where 
my first feature film, the director's first feature, writer, producer, uh, the other cast. It was all of our first feature films, and it was ultra low budget. So nobody yeah, was, was making say, any money. They, they had to crowdfund just yeah. to make it happen. Like there was there was a point, I remember you telling me that you were going to be in this film. And there was a point where I was actually a little nervous that it might not even get made. Yeah, it was it was just through the hard work and talent. And once we finished the project and people saw what we did, more money started to come. Oh. But at first it was just, you know, another small Canadian indie film and nobody really cares about those. Oh, and, and they're, they're sure caring now. They're sure caring now. We've been... 55 festivals around the world, 12 awards. 55. Uh, 55 from London to Australia to to LA, New York. We have okay. New York coming up. <laughs> wow. Um, and now in Cineplex theaters. And that That's you know, huge. I remember sitting last week and I saw my name on the Cineplex website under cast for this film. And uh, I had to take a second. And you go through so much BS in this in this stuff that you your vision becomes clouded. You don't see the awards anymore because you're like, it, it's fine. Let's just move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to stop and remind myself, hey, take a second. Look at where you were in small town Prince George, sitting in that Cineplex watching films to one day being in Vancouver and having your name on a Cineplex website. Mm -hmm. And that was through hard work and honesty and and that's all I ever wanted to be. I never wanted anybody's help. I wanted to earn every role that I got and I wanted to earn every um, milestone that I was able to achieve. I, I I appreciate so much Jason Carmen's working with you and his yeah. work. And, and I love this idea too of, you know, representation. It matters. Yeah. Like, other Asian Canadian kids, you know, watching films starring and Asian Canadian actors, yeah, films made by Asian Canadian, you know, it's they see themselves that this is possible. Yeah. This is this is something I can do, right? How how is the representation piece important to you, Chris? I, I mean. I was a huge nerd growing up, so I I loved all the superhero stuff, but it never felt like I had somebody to relate to. I was like, I love Superman. I love Bruce Banner. I love all these people. And they were just these white superheroes. So there was all, I remember a small part of me as a kid being like, I really like these people, these characters, but I couldn't quite see myself in their shoes. Mm. And as a kid, you don't really understand why. And now we have the importance of Shang-Chi and Black Panther and, you know, now in, in more independent film in general, uh, films like Golden Delicious and, and many others where we are now seeing not only non-A-list actors, not even, I wouldn't even consider myself like a D-list actor, <laughs> but, you know, small independent actors giving, getting their chance to showcase what so many likewise actors are capable of. And studios and big names just don't ever really give them a chance, especially Canadian actors. Mm -hmm. So it feels important to me to see a hopeful young Asian or mixed uh, boy looking up and going, wow, that that is possible. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be the Brad Pitts, the Ryan Gosling's, the Johnny Depp's of the world to ever consider myself a name or make mm -hmm. a career of it. Mm -hmm. And representation also for the for lgbtq kids right seeing yeah. more of this content in films is hugely important i mean we're at we're living in a time right where we're you know as a teacher in education system i'm trying to protect kids trying to make sure they do feel seen and heard and I'm going to advocate for them. We have our SOGI one, two, three curriculum where, and we yeah. have uh, books with, um, with, with gay characters, with trans characters. Mm -hmm. And we have this protection through our, our district, through our province, through the ministry that, you know, to, to share this information with kids so they can see themselves represented in this fiction and to also then see it also on film yeah like 
it's giving kids this fighting chance when they maybe felt like they didn't have a fighting chance before. And Jason wanted to really, he's, he's, uh, are fully, um, out and gay director. And he wanted to make sure based on all the LGBTQ queer films that he's watched before that we had a really positive message because so much older queer cinema was mm -hmm. showcasing the trials and tribulations and, and really tough um, times that they'd been through, which is equally as important to showcase. But he wanted to show to the younger generation that all queer cinema isn't just that. There are really positive messages out there, our film including one, mm -hmm. and also really strong characters. And that's why I think there is so much confidence in, in Alex and some a strength that I wanted to really showcase that young gay men can be seen as leading and strong and more so young Asian men as well to be mm -hmm. to be up there and not just seen as these weak, feeble characters. And hopefully we can change the tides and perspectives of, of a younger audience just with films like this. Well, Chris, I've seen everything you've done. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've, I've watched all, all the Hallmark films. Oh, gosh. Know, right? I watch, you know, well, because you're you're my kid. Like, you're, yeah. I don't, I don't, <laughs> so, so you're like one of my kids. I, I don't, not very, being a drama teacher, not very many of my students actually decide to go on into acting, right? Mm. And I felt like that way, it's, it's hugely important to me that I support you in any way I, I can right and I love hearing that you're taking leaps even beyond acting you already mentioned that you just finished a short film yeah can you can you can you, you know you wrote directed and produced it and act in your acting in and then right? acted in it yeah and it. can you tell us about can you tell us about this this short yeah film? it was um really middle of July, kind of right in the heightened part of this strike that we have going on. Um, I'm not really good with just sitting around waiting. And I thought, what is something, again, I have control over and can and can choose to do with my time? Um, and I sat there and I thought, well, I, I've already written, I've written four or five shorts before this. And there was one, I've always wanted to tell something about love based on my, uh, loosely based on my experience. And I, it was just one night I was going to bed, middle of July, and I thought of the thought of the climax immediately. I wrote it down in my phone notes and then I wrote the first draft the next day. And from there, I was, I was just gung-ho with getting this done. I grabbed my producer, I grabbed my cast, and I just started filling in the team around me to see how is this possible? Um, and then I privately raised, I think, just over $10,000 to make the film happen just through close friends and family. And then we shot it end of August and we're in second round edits right now. And that was just oh, great. pen to paper one night and going, I have what I feel like the the people around me and the talent around me to make this happen. Why don't we go ahead and create a story in this world? And maybe people will relate to it. Maybe they won't. But at the end of the day, we've we've created a film and not a lot of people decide to do that based on financial factors. And it, it's really difficult to really, really difficult to make stuff in this world. It's really expensive. It's really hard. Getting permits felt like the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. So much red um, tape, hey? Huh? So much red tape. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... But when you make it happen, um, I think it says something about your character and then more opportunities open up because of, of your willingness to just share a story. Mm -hmm. What are your next plans, Chris? What do you do you, after producing this film? Do you see yourself balancing both like being able to maybe produce and direct more films or is acting still at the forefront 
act, acting will always be the forefront. That that is where I I understand a lot of my talent to to be. Directing was a lot of fun, mm. um, and it is really cool to have so much of that set and that particular story be a be your voice, and you're not mm. sort of answering to any big big names or anything like that. Um, so I think moving forward, if I do get additional funds from acting, I have at least four other stories that I want to tell, two short films and two feature films. So we'll see down the line. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a possibility. I'd probably start with my next short film after this, if I can get grants and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then down the line, if I ever had a multi-million dollar budget, I'd, I have a Christmas movie <laughs> in mind. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> Did directing the short film uh, make you a better actor? It gave me a lot of perspective. Mm-hmm. It gave me a lot of realization that there's so much effort that gets put into just having this shot, the one shot, and all I need is my actor to come in and execute his part. I don't need anything else. I just need that. And so it it really goes to show how important what felt like such an easy set for actors where we show up, we get fed, you sit in your trailer, you don't have to help set up any of the lights, all that jazz. But it's because we need you in the right mindset so that when we yell action, we are getting what what needs to be recorded. Mm-hmm. And that comes from an actor being free and playful and um, uh, unstressed by the heartaches of, of set. Mm-hmm. That's our job. And so it really gave me a lot of ease where sometimes I felt like on set that I was, you're like, oh, you're being lazy. You're not working hard enough. You're you're sitting here playing games. You're playing charades with the other cast while everybody else is setting up all this stuff. And it's like, well, good. Get your imagination and your playfulness ready Yeah. because that's what we want to record. We don't want to record somebody that's just been setting up the lights and is stressed out. Because that's that's when your creativity actually comes out, right? You it's actually when you have these moments of pause where you can kind of percolate, where actually you're actually bored, right? And yeah. then you can actually be creative. Do you have any plans to leave Vancouver? Like, do you ever think that in the future you might head to Hollywood? I'd I've talked to my agent about it, and um, I think we're gonna look at getting one one more big thing golden delicious is is up there but there's you only get one first chance at at introductions to managers and agents down in um la so you don't want to burn any bridges by not having enough mm-hmm. and uh i think one more guest star or recurring role where it really feels like i can sink right. my teeth and do it again um will give me give me what i need to um just get in the door it's so mm-hmm. difficult So Chris, you know, this podcast that I created is primarily for educators, but I think what you've shared with the, with listeners is so valuable. Like there's so many things that so many takeaways. And again, I know sometimes educators mean well, and they want to give, you know, practical advice to young people. What Mm -hmm. advice do you actually have for the educators listening to this podcast when they encounter a young person who says, you know, I'm thinking about going into the acting business. Um, it depends on yeah how how old they are, and I think what really helped me along the way is that they you just give that young child a space to play with their imagination and their talent, give them the space to explore, and then also give them the options and guidelines for what they can do moving forward. But ultimately it's, it's their choice. Mm-hmm. It's a scary thing. I remember being, I had $2,000 in my bank account and I, I moved out of my dad's place and I said, I'm off to Vancouver. I'm going to go be an actor. Um, so there was no security blanket. There was no nothing. And you can't, and you know, I'm still, I'm still here today. Mm-hmm. So I think any young person going forward, if you feel it in your body and you feel it in your soul, then just chase it because um, you can you can prove a lot of people wrong just by being who you are. That's an important message. I think that's an important message, no matter what career. I think a kid is mm-hmm. is chasing 
So important. All right. Are you ready for elevator pitch? What's, what is <laughs> Elevator pitch is at the end of every episode, I ask my guest uh, a question. Okay. And the idea behind it is, okay, so Chris, you're on an elevator. You're on the okay. third floor. A young person gets on the elevator with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you've only got three floors to encourage them. Okay. To embrace the messy. What's the advice you give them? They they come and they go, oh, I've seen you in Golden Delicious. That's amazing. I'm thinking about going into acting. Oh, what do you I'm say? What do you say? What do you say? Three <laughs> things to say? No, not three things. You only have three floors to tell them. Time's ticking. I, any young person that always comes to me and says, I want to be an actor, I immediately say, um, one, you've got to love it. Two, know where you're going to train and get better. Know where your acting gym is. And three, um, if you do things the right way and truly believe in your talent and and believe in yourself, you don't need help from anybody else because that will bring you further than anybody giving you um, some sort of unfair opportunity it's probably a cleaner way to say that but no that's i think it's perfect i think i think it's perfect well chris i chris i think you you're inspiring me i that's think i think educators will be inspired by this conversation and teaching you is one of my joys in my life. And I think, I, I don't know how else to say it, but I'm just so, I'm so gosh darn proud of you, kid. <laughs> I'm so proud of everything that you, you've done. And you've grown up to be such a fine young man and such a fine role model. And I wish you only the success life brings you. That's, thank you, Shannon. That's that is very sweet. And just I'm, know that so much of what has happened to this day is all because of who you are as a teacher and your ability to open up young minds. So know that I wouldn't be here if I hadn't have met you in grade eight. You're so kind. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm honored to have produced this and all episodes of the Embrace the Messy podcast with Shannon Schinkel on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Clay Lake First Nation. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and share it with a colleague or friend. Doing so will help others find the podcast. Know someone who embraces the messy and would make a great guest on the pod? Email me at embracethemessypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.